excited because I have a brand new podium. Look at this thing. Isn't this impressive? This was made for us by Jeremy Jacob. If you know Jeremy, Jeremy sits in, Jeremy's Vic's uh, brother-in-law married to Gabby, tall guy, you know, last week his son was dressed just like him. And, uh, if you, and uh, he, he's a carpenter and so he made this like incredible podium. So he's, he's actually serving in kids ministry right now. So can we give it up for Jeremy? Just give it up. There he is right back there. Here, come here, come here, come in, come in, come in for a minute. I, I see him. He, he's looking in the back. He's coming in. Everybody, that's Jeremy. Come on, let's give it up for him. Look at this thing. Not only that, it's, it's, it's my size. It's my size. I, I'm so, oh man, it's so, I, but the only problem is now like the pressure's on. Like I got to preach a good sermon behind this thing, right? Like not just a music stand, like this is, this is special. It's even got, look at this, it's even got like a little drawer here, like I could put stuff in here. Oh man, this is like, oh, this is my, my style. Yeah, so Christmas came early. I'm very, very, very excited for this. So whatever else happens today, it's a good day because, I mean, it looks good. It looks good. Welcome to Life Tree. If you don't know, I'm Pastor Dan. Honored to have you all here today. Thank you for coming out and being here. It's the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the, in, the, in the church calendar, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a time where we set an expectation, look forward to the, the coming of the Christ. And so each week has a different theme. This, this week is hope. It begins with, with hope. And we're starting a new series called The Morning Light, The Morning Light of Heaven, um, that we'll, we'll read in a little bit that's about to break upon us. Uh, and you know, always good to look at Christmas and study the Christmas story, the story of Christ coming to earth. And we look forward to the birth of Christ and the hope that his, that his life gives. It's just such a great time of year. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading from there. And as we're going, I've got to tell you, it's my, it's my 14th Christmas series with Life Tree. 14. That's a lot of times to tell the same story. Mm-hmm. I mean, every year the challenge is to take a story that is so familiar and bring something new to bring life to it. It's hard to make something new out of something old, right? It's hard, it's hard to do that. It's hard to breathe new life into it. And as I thought about it, I've been really thinking about, you know, how do I approach this yet again? I've preached this so many times. Every time I read the story, I'm like, I remember I preached that one and that one and that one and that one, you know, like, it's just, I'm trying to think of how do I, how do I present this old story in a new way? And I thought maybe, maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe I don't need to find a new way in this old story. Let me, let me ask you a question. What are some of your favorite Christmas movies? It's like, shout them out. Elf, Elf is a good one. It's a wonderful life. Home Alone, The Grinch, The Christmas Story, White Christmas. Die Die Hard, thank you, Angie. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie, everybody? Yes, it is. All right, Die Hard. There we go. So then let me ask you, how many times have you watched them? Mm, Oh, hundreds. Over and over and over again. My kids are watching Elf in July. They're watching Elf all the time. We've watched those movies over and over and over again. So let me ask you, if you know the story, why do you watch it over again? If you know what's going to happen, why do you watch it again? Because it's good? You want to see it? Nostalgic. There we go. That's a good word. 
nostalgic brings up feelings, right, and emotions. Like as you're watching it, it transports you back to a time when maybe you first saw it or you're, you're you know, growing up years, right? It doesn't get old. They, they, help, us, they help us live in, in this season, right? Like it gets you in the mood, right? It gets you, in, gets you in that Christmas vibe, right? I don't watch any Christmas movies till Thanksgiving is over. Because if it's always Christmas, it's never Christmas. So you've got to have boundaries, right? But like once Thanksgiving happens, then we can start watching it. You know, Thanksgiving morning, we're watching Babes in Toyland, right? Mark the Wooden Soldiers. We're watching Exits on PBS. And then, and then we started with, uh, we, we started with, uh, what was it? The, uh, it's the, what was the name of that movie? I can't remember what it was. It was the Charles Dickens. It's the story of his life. No, not a Christmas carol. It's the, that's what he wrote. It's about how he wrote the Christmas carol. The Man Who Invented Christmas. We started with that one this year. That's a good one. If you haven't seen that one, that's a good one. I've seen it before, but it's still so good. And then you go into these other ones, and it, it, it awakens feelings, gets you in the mood, brings back memories. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get old. And the thing is, sometimes you watch a movie, and it hits different. Because you're not the same person you were when you watched it the first time, Right? Um, seeing the story can kind of become like a mile marker in your life. You're like, I remember when I watched that movie back then. Now it's a little, little different. Like maybe you used to, to watch The Grinch and you were afraid of The Grinch. Right? As a kid, you're like terrified by that Grinch, you know, that smile. And, all. and now you're like, I kind of like identify with The Grinch. Like, seriously, the commercial, that noise, 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 right? All this stuff. Maybe you used to watch Home Alone and you were Kevin. Right, you were a kid, and you imagine like if you were a kid alone in your house, and bad guys were coming to get you. What would you do, and how would you set it up? And you you envisioned that. Now you watch it, and you're like, I could leave my kid at home. I could I could see the you know you just it's a different a different thing. Every time I watch a Christmas Carol or it's a, a Wonderful Life, man, it just seems more powerful. Like I just I just see it differently as I get older. Same story. So this year we're simply going to rewatch or rehear. Uh, the original Christmas story. Because no matter how many times you've heard it, it's a living story. The story of Christ coming to earth. This is the, the first story of Christmas. And it may awaken some feelings. It may remind you, maybe nostalgic and bring you back to the first time you heard the Christmas story. The nativity, you know, all the little things and the shepherds. And may may help you get in the holiday spirit. But more importantly, my prayer is that as we look at this, it takes on a new meaning. That just where you are today, it hits you differently based on where you are in your life today and in your faith journey and in all those things. That God awakens us to new truth in an old story. So I'm not going to get fancy here. I'm just going to tell the story uh, and trust that God kind of writes the best stories. We don't need to add to it. And in there, he's going to speak something yet again new to us. I'm going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin with the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're relatives of Mary. We don't know how. It's Elizabeth that's a relative of Mary. It doesn't really say. He could have been a cousin, second cousin. He could have just, I don't know. Somehow there's a family relation there. Scripture's not, and history's not terribly clear. All we know is that they're related in some way. Um, and so we're going to pick up their story in Luke chapter 1. Uh, verse 5, okay, it'll be on the screen so you can follow along. You can also read in your Bibles if you'd like. And it says this, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. 
Now, there's a lot of historical names and references there. Uh, so I just want to pause just for a minute, give us a little context here. Uh, it starts with Herod. If you don't know, Herod was half Jewish, identified as Jewish, was appointed as the king by the Romans, by Mark Antony. All right, that's who, who appointed Herod to rule in this region. He ruled in Judea, which was modern-day Israel, um, actually Gaza, right, the, uh, the West Bank. This is much of where our world's attention is focused right now. Okay, this is where it's happening right now. That's Judea. So that's where this is taking place. So you've got a, a half-Jewish uh, king appointed by the Romans to rule over this area. And the story is about um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah, it says, is a priest in the order of Abijah. Everybody knows Abijah, right? Yep, nope. Um, there's actually lots of Abijahs in the Bible. They can be men, they can be women. It's interesting. There's, there's, there's all sorts. Somebody's mom was Abijah, somebody's dad was Abijah. Okay, it's a, it means, uh, if you break down the word, uh, you've got Abi and Jah, Yah, so Yah, Yahweh, God, right? So you've got this Jehovah God name, so the half is God. Abi, Abba, God, Father, Abba, Father. So it's God is my Father. That's what Abijah means, God is my Father, right? And Abijah was a descendant of Aaron, brother of Moses, right? So if you go way back, you got Moses and Aaron, right? Aaron was the priest, Moses was the leader, right? They're brothers, and Aaron had, had sons, and Abijah was a descendant of Aaron. Um, he lived during the time of King David, Abijah did. He was, uh, he was alive at the time of King David, and when David was about to die, he appointed these orders, as you see there, the order of Abijah. He appointed these orders to take responsibility for the temple, for the tabernacle, say, okay, it's your job to watch over the temple, to do all the services and things, to service priests in the temple. So that means that Abijah was one of the first ones appointed, say, this is your job, this is your role to serve in the tabernacle, right? So Zechariah, descendant of Abijah, that means for 20, there's 28 generations between Abijah and Zechariah, that means for 28 generations, this family has been serving in the temple. Right? So there's a, like, if you want to talk about a family business, like how long you've been doing this, hmm, kind of go back. 28 generations they've been serving as priests in the temple is what they do. Like when he was born, didn't have a choice. <laughs> it's what you're going to do. You're going to get to grow up and you're going you're gonna to serve. You're going to be in our order. Take turns doing this. There you go. So let's go fast forward. Verse 6, it says this. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now, it's easy just to read that and not really think about it, okay? These are two people who had spent all their life serving God, likely feeling grateful for what they had, yet somewhat disappointed about how their life had turned out, right? In that culture... Uh, children were a blessing from God, a sign of favor. Not having children was not a choice that they would have made. They're like, oh, we don't want kids. Wasn't part of that culture. This was a constant reminder that maybe God was not happy with them. Like, why else would they not have children? It was a point of pain for them. So they're going through that. They're older couple now, gone through life, no kids, and it was a point of pain. They wanted them. They desired them, didn't have kids. Yet we're told that they were notably righteous, that everything they did was, was right, that they were good, right? That they, that they did everything the way it was supposed to. They didn't complain. They didn't deny God. They just lived not understanding why life was the way it was. And let me ask, do you ever feel like that? You know God is good, but you don't understand why you're in the situation you're in. 
Like, I, 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 I'm trying to do everything. I mean, I'm not perfect, but, like, I love God, but, like, this is not the way I wanted my life to go. And, and you kind of just live with this sense of, like, mm, I trust God and all, but, boy, it's disappointing. And you've sort of resigned it and, and accepted it, but it's just not the life you wanted. But you just live with it. That's them. Verse 8 says, One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week. Again, those orders would take turns. And as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. It was just his turn. They drew straws and it was his turn. It says, While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. This was just a daily a habit. This was a custom. They would go in, they'd do the things, and people would stand outside and they would, they would, uh, they would pray during that time. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Now, this was a normal day. Start off like every other day. They'd been doing this for a long time. Nothing new. But in an instant, it became a day he'd never forget. All right, it's an older man now. So just picture an older man just kind of going, just a priest in the temple and shaking in fear. Just if you can imagine, an older, an older gentleman just shaking in fear, paralyzed by what's in front of him. And in that moment, we can only imagine what's going through his mind. Like, what is happening? Who is this? Is, am, I, am I in danger? Is he here to kill me? Is my life about to end? What about my wife? Like, he's just fear, 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 fear. So much like just terror in this moment. Doesn't know what's going to happen. But the angel says, and I would guess the angel perceived his terror, and spoke in a very kind, gentle voice. I can imagine this big angel is like, all right, let me, let me, let me soften it for you. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. It goes on, it continues. Sorry, here we go. The angel said, verse 13, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. We're going to be John the Baptist. And you will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of God. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Verse 16, And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, that's a lot to digest. Like, that's a whole lot the angel says to him. Like, at first, he's like terrified. Am I going to die? And the angel just says, okay, all this stuff. First, this guy is not here to vaporize you. Okay. Whew. Okay, breathe. Breathe, right? That's the first thing. Second, the prayer he had been praying for decades was not falling on deaf ears. Huh. God has heard everyone. If you've ever prayed a prayer and felt like it wasn't being answered... Maybe you felt like it wasn't even being heard. You prayed this really long prayer and you felt like nobody's ever heard it. Zachariah is your guy. He's, he's the guy who's like, yep, I got you. I've been praying this prayer for, for decades maybe. And the angel says to him, hey, God has heard your prayers for a child. And the time has come. God's going to answer this prayer. But not only that, there's a reason you've been waiting for this. This is no ordinary child. And this is no ordinary time. Your child has a name. Your child has a purpose. Now, most babies bring joy to their friends, their family. Your son is going to bring joy to people beyond your imagination. 
Among all the people on the earth, this child is special to God. He will be great in God's eyes. That word there is megas in the Greek. You know where we get it from? Mega. It's mega. He's, John is going to be huge in God's eyes. He's so important to God. He is special in a, in, in, in a special assignment to God. And that means he needs to live special. It means what goes into his body needs to be special. What goes into his body, nothing that's going to impair his judgment. He's going to be powerfully full of the Spirit of God. Because of him, many who have forgotten God are going to remember him. In the same way that Elijah performed incredible miracles and that people reminded people who God is, your son is going to do all of that. Says, just Zachariah, just remember, just so you know, this is a special time and this is a special kid. But that's nothing compared to his greatest purpose. Says, because here's the most important thing your son is going to do. And this is why timing matters. Because your son is preparing the way for my son. He's about to come and save the world. He's about to come and show the world, and your son is the one who's going to usher him in. Like I said, it's a lot to digest. A few minutes ago, Zechariah is an old priest going through the motions of life like he's done for decades and like his ancestors had done for generations before him. And now he's being told he's going to be a dad and his son's going to prepare a way for, for the Lord himself to come down. It's hard to believe. It's really hard to believe, and Zechariah didn't. <laughs> he didn't believe it. Because I don't know what can't happen. Read verse 18. Zechariah says to the angel, uh, how, how, how can I be sure this is going to happen? I'm an old man now. And I'm also, my wife is also well along in years. Remember just like a, like a minute ago when Zechariah is scared? He's got his feet under him a little bit, got his breath back, and now he's getting a little skeptical. He's like, is this a joke? Like, Shmuel, is that you? Like, messing with me here? Like, I'm old, I know how biology works for me and my wife. We're not having any kids at our age. This can't be real. Like, I don't believe this. And then the angel says to him, next verse, 19, the angel says to him, in what I imagine to be a very different voice than the first time. First time was like, don't be afraid. Second time, he says, I've I've preached this before. I love this. I am Gabriel. I am Gabriel, bro. Like, I stand in the very presence of God. It is He who sent me to bring you this good news. I can't help but hear this in like New Jersey attitude. Like, you for real? You for real? Like, you don't, I just gave you the best news of your life and you're doubting me? You do not understand who it is that you're, that you're talking to. I am Gabriel. Gabriel, you know, the Gabriel. That's me here, right? I hang out with God, the big guy himself. He's the one who sent me to you. It's no joke. You know who you're talking to? Verse 20, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, since you didn't believe it, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And then Gabriel said, how you like them apples? <laughs> the point is this, God's purpose for Zechariah's family was to be a voice. Isaiah prophesied this prophetically 700 years earlier. said, he will be a voice. Shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. That's what John was supposed to do. Their family purpose was to be a voice. And he says, since you didn't believe me, I'm going to take your voice for a season. And the story continues, verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary. They're praying. They're like, dude, service is going long today. Come on, I got to get, you know, we got stew simmering at home on the fire. And the people are waiting for him to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why is he taking so long? And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to him. 
Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Just because you can't talk doesn't mean you can't serve. You've got to stay. I'm sorry you can't talk, but you've got to keep doing the duties. So he stays for the rest of the week. Then he goes home. Soon afterward, it says, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. So he goes home. His wife gets pregnant. It's happening. Now, I want to point out that all this is happening while, while Zechariah can't talk. Zechariah can't talk. And all I want to say is to the husbands in the room, sometimes keeping your mouth shut is not a bad thing. That's all i got to say. Now, fast forward nine months. Fast forward nine months, right? Pick it up in verse 57. It says, When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, and everyone rejoiced with her. The baby was eight days old. They all came for the circumcision ceremony, part of the Jewish customs, and they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name them. And I'm not, sh- I'm not sure I understand this, to be honest with you. We're told Zechariah lost his voice. Not his sense of hearing. Like, why are they using gestures? Just ask them. I don't understand this passage. It's just me. It's just me. I don't know. That is, tangent has nothing to do with the Scripture. I'm just going, I don't get that part of the story. He can hear you. All right, verse 63. It says, He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. And instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. All fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely on him in a special way. This whole story was so hard to believe that everyone who hears about it, right, was filled with wonder about what would come of this child. Now remember, Zechariah can't talk, and as soon as, as he's faced with a decision here, you're going to believe me this time? Well, you're going to name this child. And he says, yes, I'm going to believe you. And as soon as he says yes, the voice is restored. As soon as you choose to believe God, the voice is restored. Verse 67, then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Just like the angel would say what happened to his son, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. The angel said, your son's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Zechariah is getting filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, you're going to speak out. He becomes the voice. Again, it's a family purpose. It's not just John. The family's purpose is to be a voice. And Zechariah uses his mouth now to speak these things. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. He bursts out with this declaration of thanks for God's faithfulness, that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And now we're going to finish with just this little piece here, and we'll stop for today. Verse 76, he says, And you, he speaks He speaks again, uses his voice, and he speaks to the unborn son. 
He speaks to this child, the son that has just been born, to his little son. He says this, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us in the paths of peace. I just want to reflect now on nine months of silence for Zechariah. It taught him a few things. We're just going to pull out just a few things that Zechariah took away from this time. One is this, that the plans of God are bigger than you think. The plans of God are bigger than you think. Zechariah just wanted a son. That was it. That's all he's asking God for. I just want a blessing for, for my family, just for us. That's what I'm asking God. But God wanted to bless the world. He was not just addressing Zechariah's pain and heartache. He had a solution for everyone everywhere who was in a dark place. For everyone everywhere who had been waiting a long time for God to answer things. For generations, people like Zechariah had been doing whatever they could to be in right relationship with God. They had tried doing the law. They had tried fulfilling all those things. And it made people feel overwhelmed and, and burdened. It was impossible. It was defeating to just constantly suffer under the weight of the law. It was heavy. It's hard being perfect <laughs> to try and just follow all of those laws. It was hard. It was crushing. And God is introducing here a brand new covenant, one that's accessible to everyone. Salvation with God, he says, is not found in perfect behavior. It's not found in holiness. Salvation is found in this one thing. It's found in, in forgiveness. This is what salvation is found in. It's forgiveness. That's it. You don't earn it. You just receive it. All over the world, then and still today, people sit in darkness. Feeling like God is impossible to understand, like truth is a mystery. Like the weight of the world is on their shoulders, like they have to figure it all out. And it leads to so much anxiety and stress and fear. In this room, some of you, some of you know people that struggle with just feeling the weight of the world. And they need somebody to save them. Who's going to save me? God had bigger plans than just Zechariah. All Zechariah wanted was a son, but God said, hey, I want to show everybody the pathway to peace. I want to, I, want, I want to shine a light on everybody who's in that darkness. God's plans are so much bigger than we think. And Zechariah also learned that the plans of God involve us. It involves you. God was not going to do this on his own. He was going to invite an old man like Zechariah into the plan. And a little baby like John into the plan. God was going to involve shepherds and doctors, teachers and business people, men and women, young and old, from every corner of creation. Zechariah wasn't just a bystander. He wasn't just there to observe. God said, no, I'm going to use your voice. I'm going to use your family's voice. He was an integral participant in the plans of God. And so were you. God is involving you in his plans. The plans of God are not just for somebody else. God's grand story that he is working in this world, we are all part of it. There's one story being told. That's why it's the best story ever. It's one big story. And God says you are all 
part of it. No, not me. I'm not really. Yes, you are. If you're, you just maybe you don't realize your part yet. Everybody is part of God's plan. Not just that you're here, but you've got things to contribute, things to do, a difference to make. You, you matter. Your story matters. Zechariah learned that, that the plans of God involve us. And finally, or also he learned this, the plans of God are not on our timeline. How many can say, I second that? Yes, the plans of God are not on our timeline. God was not going to do this, right, in Zechariah's time. If it was up to Zechariah, he'd have children a lot sooner, probably decades sooner. A long time ago, he was ready for that. See, God knows exactly what he's doing. He's got a perfect sense of timing. But this one's hard for us to accept because we just think it would be so much better if God would just pay attention to the timeline that we've got laid out for him. Like, God, this would just be so much easier if you would do it according to my clock. My clock says now is the time. That this is, this is what's good. Zechariah is an old man. God, why am I having a kid now? As God says, hey, there's, there's other things going on you don't understand, but this is not just about what's good for you. This is, this, is, this is joy for the whole world. And it's the hardest one for us to accept, isn't it? And sometimes it's the hardest thing to accept is that the timing of God is not our timing. Which leads the way to the so what for today. That's the so what. So what are we supposed to do with this story? That's a familiar story. We've heard it. You may not have heard the Zechariah one as much as you know, the regular nativity stories, and we'll get into that next week. But since the beginning of time, God has been telling us his plans. Everybody's like, what is, God has a plan, all this kind of stuff. No, listen, God has told us since the beginning of time what he's going to do. Very clearly, he's told us what he's doing. He says, Zechariah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to give you a son. Your son's going to prepare the way for me. I'm going to come. I'm going to do all this stuff. And Zechariah goes, I don't believe it. See, the hardest part is not figuring out the plans of God. It's believing it. God has told us that he hears our prayers. Do you believe him? Are there prayers that you've stopped praying? You're like, God, I know you say that you hear these prayers. And the angel told Zechariah that those prayers he'd been praying for, for decades. That, and I'm, I'm going to guess that maybe early on Zechariah was praying that, like, give us children, give us children. And over time, he just, yeah, give us kids. And maybe at the end, it's a prayer that he's like, I, don't even, I, don't, I have no expectation that this is ever going to happen. I don't believe it. But I'll say it. But I don't mean I believe it. God tells us what he's doing. He says, listen, I hear you. I hear you. Do we believe it? Maybe there's some prayers you've stopped praying in this Christmas. You need to consider starting them up again. Maybe there's some prayers that you need to relaunch. Okay. I'm going to pray this again. I don't really want to open that door. There's too much pain there. God, I don't know that I believe you, but God, I'll pray. God has told us that he sees our situations and that he's working in perfect time. Do you believe him? Are you growing impatient? Is it 
hard when God's not working on your clock? Maybe this Christmas season it's time to invite God to still us, to give us peace, to teach us to be patient, to trust Him, to trust His timing, to let go of control, to say, God, what? we don't have control early anyway. I just think I do. God, would you do what you want to do here in my life? not going to be so like mm, about what my time is and my clock, God. God, you've told us your plans. You've told us that your plan is to light up the darkness. That salvation is not found in our effort or our good works, but in grace and forgiveness alone. But here's the question. Do we believe that? Do we believe him? Are you still trying to earn your worth? to prove that you're valuable? Do you feel like you're so tired of just trying to keep performing? Just trying to keep getting it right. Just keep trying to be holy. Just keep trying to be righteous. Keep trying to do the right thing. Always struggling to try and, and always feeling like, man, I'm falling short. I'm falling short. I'm always, I'm just never measuring up. God says, I, my plan is to light up the darkness darkness of those lies that you're living in to let you know that the only way that you're going to be saved is through forgiveness it's grace it's grace God says come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest I believe there are probably some here today who need to hear this your salvation is found in forgiveness your hope is found in forgiveness. Not in your perfection. Not in how hard you work. Not in your grinding. Not in how, not in how much you, how much effort you put in. Not how good works you do. Nothing like that. Your salvation is found in forgiveness, which means that your only role in all of it is to accept it can't do anything else. Is today the day as you finally humble yourself and accept God's forgiveness? And I tell you, don't let pride keep you from all God has for you. Please. God has told us that the pathway to peace, the path that leads us out of anxiety and stress and darkness, that path is very simply to trust Him and believe in Him and to follow where He leads. Because I got you got a path out of that darkness, a path to peace. The morning light's coming. I told you what I'm going to do. From the beginning of time, I've told you what I'm going to do. I'm coming to light up that darkness, to lead you to me, that everything is in me. God has told us the plan. God, what's the plan? What's the plan? He's told us the plan. Just the plan is just trust me. Live with me. Everything else I got. The plan is for you and me. But we just don't believe that. We want to go around God and we want all the other stuff. We want Him to work out all the other stuff without Him. Say, I am the plan. Come to me. I got you. God is doing more than we think. And that first step is believing what He says He's going to do. Like Zechariah. I'm not sure I believe that. Two, nine months later. His name is John that's not a normal kid and this is not a normal time. I trust my Heavenly Father. I don't understand it all, but I trust Him. I trust Him. We're going to close with communion.
Communion is a practice we do every month as a church. It's a symbolic meal we share together. And the whole point is what we just talked about. It's a public and corporate declaration that our salvation is not in our works, but in His work and His grace. If you have not received elements, you should have received communion elements when you came in. If you did not, please raise your hand. Our ushers will, will make sure that you get them. We've got some over here, some over here. So keep your hands up till they find you. I'm going to serve our team up here for just a moment. We can be like Zechariah and have all sorts of doubts about God, doubts about ourselves. We get it wrong a lot. I get it wrong a lot. But God, but God, and His incredible love for us offers us forgiveness anyway. That's what communion tells us. It tells us that, listen, God knows that we don't always get it right. He says, I got made a plan for that. It's me. It's the whole point of Jesus. I got grace for you. I got grace for you. So as we prepare to receive these together, I just want to encourage, let's, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Would you close your eyes and just talk to God? Would you respond to what maybe he's saying to your heart this morning? If you need to confess anything to God, if there's prayers that you've stopped praying, or if you've grown impatient with his timing, Perhaps you've just, you've even been resistant to accept forgiveness. Say, not me, God. Maybe you struggle to even believe in him. You can do that now. There's no better time than now, than this present moment. Nothing is promised. So in this moment, just talk to God in your own way, right where you are. He's listening. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's here. Would you just talk to God and share what it is that he's put on your heart today? take the bread represents the body of Jesus that the one God promised Zachariah would come actually came that's what that tells us that the promise God made to Zachariah that my son, I'm going to come and your son's going to prepare the way for him that that actually happened and God is trustworthy to do what he says he's going to do when he says he's going to do something it'll happen so let's just thank Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can trust You. Lord, we thank You 
that in a world where there's so many things that we don't know who to trust, everybody's claiming that they're right, and it's just hard to tell which end is up, God, that in all of that, you are the rock, steadfast, sure, steady, or that you are trustworthy throughout time. As we stand in this moment and we look back throughout history, you are the God who since the beginning of time has said that you love us. And you have shown it over and over and over again. Lord, you sent your Son in a physical body just like this bread to let us know how much you love us. Let us know that we don't have to earn this. We don't have to merit it. There's no way we can manufacture it. But all we can do is receive it. Thank you, God, for making this so accessible to everyone. So broadly open to the world. All we got to do is believe it. Lord, by receiving this today, we are acknowledging we believe. That's what we're doing. When we, when we eat this together, what we're saying is not just somebody says, but we're saying I, me, we believe you are who you say you are. That's what this means. So together we, we declare that. In your name we pray. Let's eat together. And the cup represents the blood of Jesus that he paid for our sins with his life. I love how somebody once said it. They said, God left his place to come to our place, to take our place, so we could all go to his place. I'll say it again. God left his place to come to our place, to take our place, so we could all go to his place. Let's thank God for his forgiveness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this cup that reminds us that you paid what we owed. You stepped into our place. You paid the penalty that we should have paid. You, you paid the penalty of death. Lord, our sins demand death. You paid for that. And now, you've given us access to life here and eternally. Now, not yet fully, but it's our hope. As we look forward to that day, we can live with hope now for what will then be a reality. We face the future with no fear. Because you are good. And we know how this ends because you've told us. We believe you. Again, as we drink this cup, we believe we are forgiven. We can't drink this cup and just think that we're still guilty we drink this together, what we are agreeing on is that our sins are as far from us as the east is from the west, that you declare us spotless and pure. We are blameless in your sight, God. That though our sins were like scarlet, you have made them white as snow, Lord. That's what this declares. Today is a brand new day. Whatever happened yesterday, it's over and done with. You have forgiven every single one of us. Completely, fully, Absolutely. Thank you for your great love for us.
your name we pray. Amen. Let's drink together.